Charles Bronson is St. Ives. What are the odds in a Rams-Dallas game? He'll bet on anything. Okay, 500. Even his life. I'm gonna take you out. Go between. You don't like me, do you? I don't like your questions. For you, uh, you're tough, smart. You got a, a lot of great looking bits and pieces. St. Ives, a go-between who knows the places to find the people who have the answers. 10,000. An honest man goes to the police. A dishonest man settles the score in his own way. 20,000. I don't want to be an accessory. 100,000. I don't move. As the stakes go up, the odds go down. Every time we find a stiff, you're around. And why is that? I guess I'm just lucky. You know something? You're all right. Do you have any doubts? He's clean. He's mean. He's a go-between. And welcome to the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. And what am I looking at this time? I am looking at the movie St. Ives from 1976. Starring Charles Bronson, John Houseman, and Jacqueline Bissett. It was directed by J. Lee Thompson, who directed quite a few of Charles Bronson's movies. And let's just get right into it. The movie starts with typeface over the picture on the screen. It says that we're in Los Angeles. And while it's typing on the screen, we see this car. It drives up to a hotel. It stops in front of a hotel. This guy gets out. A couple of kids start uh, messing with his car. He's like, get away from my car. I just remember my grandparents doing that. Whenever they would pull up and teenagers would sit on their car and they hated it. And they were always shooing kids away from their car. Uh, just a personal moment right, at, right out of the gate here in the podcast. And he walks into this hotel, and there's a clerk there, and he says, uh, Take a broom, and if anybody gets next to my car, just beat him in the head with a broom. Give me the keys, I have to wake up Mr. Wonderful. And he goes up to this room, he unlocks it, he walks in, and it's Charles Bronson. Charles Bronson is living in this, I would say, make it a two-and-a-half-star hotel. It's not the worst, but it's definitely not the best. So he's right around there, right in the middle. Two and a half stars in 1976 Los Angeles. That's where he's living. And it turns out that this guy is his lawyer, and he starts opening the shades and pouring him coffee, getting him up for the day. And uh, the reason he's getting him up is he has a job for him. And Charles Bronson is a novelist at this point. Uh, he used to be a crime reporter. We're going to find that out later in the film, but spoiler, I'll tell you to you right now. He used to be a crime reporter, but he is retired, and now he's trying to write a novel, which he is not doing very well at. And his lawyer comes and tells him that he has a job. It's a very unique job. This is what it is. All right, now for the good news. You got an offer of employment. 
Not interested. You better be, Buster. Abner Procaine, male, white, 65 years old, extremely wealthy, eccentric, lives on an estate in Homeby Hills. The gentleman has had something stolen. The thieves have offered to return it for a piss pot full of money. You function strictly as a go-between. For which I'll get paid? 10,000, cold cash. And uh, if we can finagle it a little bit, possibly even tax-free. Do I have to murder anybody for that? As your lawyer, I would advise against it. Charles Bronson is happy to get the money. And he's a go-between. I don't know why they chose him out of all the people in Los Angeles, but they did. And he's happy to take it. Then we cut to the credits. We see Charles Bronson driving to where he has to go. And while this is happening, the credits. And this movie, like the last movie I did on this podcast, Fuzz, starring Burt Reynolds, it had a who's who of character actors. And the same can be said of this movie. You may not know the name, but you're definitely going to know the face. And this is like 90% of this movie. I knew 90% of the actors in this movie from one thing or another. And Charles Bronson pulls up to this mansion. And Charles Bronson, of course, name is St. Ives. He's Ray St. Ives. Thus the name of the movie. He pulls up to the mansion. He's let in. He's waiting to see the person who hired him. And out of the corner of his eye, he spies Jacqueline Bissett. And, of course, being Hollywood, she's much younger than him. <laughs> but he walks into this room, which a silent movie is playing, and in this room is John Houseman. And John Houseman is the man who has hired Charles Bronson. He wants Charles Bronson to be the go-between because stolen from John Houseman was five leather journals, which he wants back. And then uh, Jacqueline Bissett walks into the room and there's, you know, automatically there's electricity between her and Bronson. She said that she took the ransom call and that these guys want $100,000 for the journals. And John Houseman is willing to pay that. And the reason Charles Bronson got this job is because he has a fantastic reputation. Besides betting too much, he has a squeaky clean reputation of being honest. And while Charles Bronson is there, he gets a phone call, and it's the kidnapper. It's the kidnappers. It's, uh, I guess you could say, yeah, they kidnapped the journals. Anyway, it's the extortionists, and they tell Charles Bronson where to meet them. And it was just like, it was a weird casual response. Charles Bronson gets off the phone. He's like, yeah, seemed all right. They want me to meet him at a laundromat at 2 in the morning. Okay. And I guess he really does have a fantastic reputation because John Houseman gives him the $100,000 without thinking. And Charles Bronson just walks to his car and drives away with it. If you did not have a stellar reputation, you'd be halfway to Mexico before they realized you were gone. The next scene is Charles Bronson pulling up to the laundromat and he walks in and all of a sudden in the background you hear this clunk, clunk clunk and he looks at a dryer and there's a guy stuffed in a dryer and just as charles bronson is about to turn and leave a uh, motorcycle cop walks in so hey is that your drag out front you left your lights on and just as charles bronson wants to get out of there the cop busts him gets him up against the wall opens the dryer this guy's head falls out of the dryer and just while all this is happening two police detectives come in and ask what's going on, and they question Bronson, and they look in the bag that Bronson has, and it is $100,000.
Now they are suspicious. Dead guy in the laundromat, guy in there with $100,000. It's a bit hinky, so they take him down to the office. Sorry, not the office, the station. They take him down to the police station, and that's where they're still asking him questions. Charles Bronson is not telling them what's happened. He said he just moved here to L.A. He wanted to know what a laundromat looked like. He's never been in one. He walks in. He's holding the money for a little old lady. Bada, 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 yada, yada, yada. And while all this is happening, the police lieutenant walks in who automatically recognizes Charles Bronson, and he gives us this explanation. Hey. Hi, Charlie. How are you? You know this guy, Lieutenant? What do you mean, do I know him? Everybody knows St. Ives. He's a big-time columnist, crime reporter. Was, I mean, now he's, uh, he's an author. He's writing a book. How's the book coming? Not worth a shit. Oh. Well, maybe you got a weak story. Yeah, I guess so. Hey, we found him walking around with 100,000 bucks in a bag. You didn't steal it, did you, Ray? No, and I'm not that hard up. Give him back his 100,000 bucks. Let him get out of here. See you later, Ray. Thanks, Charlie. So Charles Bronson takes his $100,000 and goes back to the hotel. And once he gets to the hotel, he tells the clerk there to put the money in a safe. He goes, put the money in the safe and give me the key to the safe. But while all this is happening, somebody is spying on Bronson. So now somebody's already on Bronson's tail, and the clerk puts the money in the safe and gives the key to Bronson. We see type on the screen again. It's Monday, 10-15, October 25th. Jacqueline Bissett shows up at Charles Bronson's room. She pulls up to the hotel. She goes up to his room. He's placing bets. She comes in. They sort of talk about the night before. And uh, she said the reason she's there is because they got another call and they want another drop. Charles Bronson says, I'm more than happy to do it. He's very accommodating to these extortionists. And once again, while Jacqueline Bissett is there, there's chemistry between the two. She's there. She's mainly there for Charles Bronson. And Charles Bronson is able to keep his mind on the job. And good for you, Charles Bronson. He sort of throws her out of his room, if you can believe that. 1976, Jacqueline Bissett. Woo! Well, the next scene is Charles Bronson walks into a diner. And this is obviously a diner where everybody knows each other. He starts talking to the guy who runs the diner. You know, he's like, come over here. I want to talk to you. And they start talking about the guy that was killed in the dryer. And he says, yeah, the guy that was killed in the dryer, he was in here the other night with another guy. And maybe you should look into that because they were in here together talking about something or other. And now one guy is dead and they can't find the other guy. I'm going to say this right now. I hope I am making this podcast as clear as possible because this is a mystery movie and there are tons and tons and tons of characters in this movie. We're introduced to characters every five minutes, it seems. So watching the movie, it was tough to keep up with the characters. Trying to relay the movie to you, it's going to be extra tough. So please bear with me. I'm going to do the best that I can. Right now, we have a dead guy in the dryer that was making plans with another guy. Charles Bronson knows who the other guy is. And now he's going out to find the other guy who was partners with the dead guy in the dryer. 
Whew. If you have a score sheet at home, check that off. Charles Bronson leaves the diner, and as he leaves the diner, he is accosted by three punks. Count them. Three. And this is where it gets kind of interesting. Out of the three punks, one of them is Robert England, Freddy Krueger, and the one of the other punks is Jeff Goldblum, who, if you remember, was a punk in Death Wish two years earlier, and he was one of the guys that killed Charles Bronson's wife and beat up his daughter. So Jeff Goldblum has had double duty beating up Charles Bronson and his family. And the weird thing is, there's three punks that do this. Jeff Goldblum is one, Robert Englund is the other, but the third punk is the only punk that does any talking. Jeff Goldblum doesn't say anything, Robert Englund doesn't say anything. Here's what happens. The three punks, they take Bronson's wallet. I guess it's supposed to look like a robbery, but one of them calls him the go-between. So now Bronson knows, okay, these guys were hired by somebody to beat me up, but not beat me up. They're actually trying to kill him. So they knock him out. They put him in an elevator. They take him up to the top of this building that they're in. And they raise the elevator up just enough to slide Charles Bronson under the bottom of the elevator. And this is the point where he grabs Jeff Goldblum's legs and almost pulls him down. But he finally lets go, and he falls down the elevator shaft, and he's able to grab onto the wires or the cables that are holding the elevator. The three punks get into the elevator and push the down button, and Charles Bronson is able to climb to the bottom and uh, swing out of the open door before the elevator comes down and crushes him. So now all three of the punks are after Charles Bronson. And old CB, he able, he gets the best of all three of them. Schmackety, schmackety, smack, smack, smack. Down they all go. He gets his wallet back. He leaves. He goes back to John Houseman's house. John Houseman's house. Say that five times quick. And while he gets there, he's greeted by uh, a doctor. John Houseman's doctor. His psychiatrist. And Jacqueline Bissett is there. So now it's... John Houseman, Charles Bronson, Jacqueline Bissett, and his doctor friend. And while everybody is there, John Houseman gets a call about the drop. So the drop is going to be on Wednesday at Union Station at 3.45 in the afternoon in the men's bathroom, stall number one. The next scene, Charles Bronson goes into a garage, and in the garage is the guy... I probably should learn names, but I'm not very good with names, and I don't even think names would help. I think by describing the people, it may help you get through this better. So he goes into a garage, and he's looking for the guy that was with the dead guy in the dryer. And he finds this guy. And this guy, he's talking to Charles Bronson. He's pleasant enough. And he takes Charles Bronson to this car, and he puts Charles Bronson in this car. And all of a sudden, one of the mechanics starts unloading a machine gun on this car. And the car gets riddled with bullets. However, it's a bulletproof car. The windows are bulletproof. The body is bulletproof. And the guy's laughing. It's like, yeah, I played a joke on you. You were He thought you were going to die, but it's a bulletproof car. And Charles Bronson gets out and punches him in the face. Which, I, yeah, that's what you do. And then they're talking afterwards, and Charles Bronson gets another name from this guy. 
So it's just going from one person to another person, getting a name, going to that person, getting a name, going to that person. And he gets a name from this guy, and he gets a name of a guy that runs a pawn shop. And he gets to the pawn shop, and he says, I'm investigating the murder of the guy in the dryer. And the guy from the pawn shop starts freaking out. It's like, I had nothing to do with that, okay? Look. Some guy called me about these journals. I didn't want them. I had nothing to do with it. Charles Bronson is, who's the name of the guy that had the journals? And the guy gives him the name of the guy who had the journals. So you really, really have to pay attention during this movie because they're just throwing names out all the time. Charles Bronson has the name of the guy who wanted to sell these journals to the pawn shop. Got it, okay? That's what we have right now. Charles Bronson is on the tail of the guy who wanted to sell the journals. Whew. And we go back to the diner where Charles Bronson meets the guy that wanted to sell the journals over the phone. And he buys them lunch and he intimidates him saying that he may be dead too like the guy in the dryer. The guy cracks and says... It wasn't me that stole the journals. It was a safecracker named so-and-so. So now Charles Bronson has the name of the safecracker who broke in. So here's what happened. A safecracker broke into the house and stole the journals. He didn't know what to do with the journals, so he sold the journals to the guy that's dead in the dryer. And the guy who's dead in the dryer and this guy at the diner now were trying to unload the journals somewhere. They tried to unload them in the pawn shop. And so the so that's where we are now. And the guy at the diner says, I don't know what the dead guy in the dryer did with the journals. But I do know the guy who cracked the safe and he gives Charles Bronson his name. Charles Bronson goes to the guy who runs the diner who happened to be friends with that guy. Now Charles Bronson knows where the guy, the safecracker, lives. Charles Bronson goes to see the safecracker. The one who initially stole the journals. While he goes up to see the guy, he is thrown out the window. He's thrown out the window and he hits the street and as soon as Charles Bronson walks into the room, the two detectives who busted him before at the laundromat, they bust him now in the room. And they think that he threw this guy out the window. Charles Bronson explains that it couldn't be him. Down in the lobby, the lieutenant is interviewing the desk clerk and this prostitute that saw Charles Bronson and said that when Charles Bronson went into the elevator, the guy hit the ground. So there was no way Charles Bronson could do it because of the time so once again the lieutenant's like get out of here you didn't do it get out of here but watch your back because obviously something's going wrong everywhere you turn up a dead guy turns up is everybody following me i i i'm hoping i am making this clear once again i'm going to recap some journals were stolen the guy who owned the journals wants them back and now there's two people dead who are connected in the theft of the journals. Outside of the hotel, the original motorcycle cop who busted him in the laundromat is there. He says hi to Charles Bronson. Then we see a then we hear a horn blowing. And it's Jacqueline Bissett. And Jacqueline Bissett picks up Charles Bronson. 
Now the next day we see the typing on the screen. It's Wednesday. It's time for the exchange. And for all intensive purposes, it goes off without a hitch. Charles Bronson gets into the first stall. Somebody slides a bag under his. He checks that the journals are there. He slides the money. He walks out. And while all this is being done, there is a man still spying on Bronson. So Charles Bronson has returned the journals to John Houseman, but he has read the journals. And it turns out that John Houseman is a master criminal. And John Houseman has this compulsion where he has to write down everything he does. So that's what are in the journals. And it turns out that the last four pages of the final journal are missing. So whoever had the journals have stolen the last four pages. And on the last four pages was the job, the final job that he was going to do. He had it all written out. He had it all planned. And those pages are missing. And Charles Bronson wants in on what was on those last four pages. So John Houseman, Jacqueline Bissett, and Charles Bronson all go out to dinner. And this is what was on the last four pages. Now, this last little caper of mine is the simplest of all, Mr. St. Ives. International Electronics is bribing the Arabs to buy their product. My plan was to intercept the bribe money. That plan was written on those last four pages of my journal, but please be assured there has never been any gratuitous violence in any of our encounters. The result of detailed planning and meticulous execution. Thank you, my dear. However, the fact that those four pages are missing means that the killer of Pesco and Boykins may drop by on Friday night at our local drive-in for more than popcorn. If you were in the drive-in with us, the risk would be reduced to an acceptable level. Still in the game, Mr. St. Ives? Yes, I'll hang around a while. And we see at the other table, the businessmen and the oil men, they're together. And Jacqueline Bissett lets us know that she has an inside man. So that's how they were able to get this information about the drop. That's how they're going to intercept the payoff. More type on the screen. It's, it's 3.45 on a Thursday. Charles Bronson goes to a magazine stand, picks up his winnings because he finally won on a football game. He's being followed. We go back to the diner. And Charles Bronson is sitting in a corner in the diner. And once again, the motorcycle cop who first uh, busted Charles Bronson in the laundromat, he's there, but he's in a suit. He's off duty. He talks to... Charles Bronson, he wants to help figure out the murder because he wants to be promoted, but he also wants to make himself rich. This cop knows, he doesn't know what's in the journals, but he does know who had the journals. And he wants John Houseman to pay him $20,000 to know who had the journals. Because now that the people who had the journals have the four final pages... Their biggest fear is, John Houseman's fear is, whoever has those may interrupt them when they try to steal the money that's going down on the buyout on Friday. Did I tell you this was a convoluted plot? It is. So Charles Bronson goes to John Houseman and says, 
I need $20,000, or she actually says, do you want to pay this guy $20,000 to know who had the journals? And John Houseman says, yes. And he tells Jacqueline Bissett to get him $20,000, which she does. And while she's getting him the $20,000, John Houseman is going over what's going to happen tomorrow night, Friday, at the drive-in when they plan to rob the people of the drop. Charles Bronson gets back to his uh, hotel, and when he pulls up, there's just a car with his horn blowing. And he looks over, and it's the motorcycle cop who has an ice pick in his chest. So Charles Bronson just pushes him over, drives him to the hospital, and tries to find out who stabbed him in the chest. And just as he arrives in the hospital, the two detectives show up again. And they want to know what happened. And Charles Bronson is finally, you know, telling him, I have this client. He had something that was stolen. I paid him ransom money. This guy, this motorcycle cop, thought he could help, but now he's dead, or he's now he's dying. Bloom, boom, boom, and he does die. Charles Bronson leaves the hospital, and his lieutenant friend is waiting there for him, offers him a ride. Charles Bronson accepts the ride back to his hotel, and on the ride back to the hotel... Uh, the lieutenant just wants to let Charles Bronson know that maybe he shouldn't get in too deep with what's going on. Need a lift? Hey, Charlie, what are you doing here? I'm waiting for you. You uh, working on a new chapter for your book? Look, I, uh, I do need a ride home, but don't ask any questions. Uh, too many questions for the night. Sure, we can just count out a state license. That's a cruel thing to do to a cop. No questions. I'm clean, Chili. Maybe. But you're pushing a bucket of shit around with a short-handled stick, I'll tell you that. Oh, that's a nice figure of speech. And you could fall in the bucket easy. Just like me. You, Charlie? I don't believe it. Oh, teeter-totter, buddy. Teeter-totter. I've thought about it. And so have you. Like when you were hustling uh, crime exposures for the newspapers. <laughs> Exposés. Yeah. Well, the right kind of payoff here and there, and uh, some of those stories might not have appeared. Yeah, you're right, Charlie. You have thought about it. But if I fall in, I'll let you know. Don't wait too long. If you're in up to your goddamn ears, I might not be able to pull you out. I depend on you, Charlie, anytime. He gets back to the hotel, and the minute he walks into his hotel, he gets shot at. Somebody starts shooting at him. And that guy runs out the front door, and Charles Bronson chases him out. And after he chases him out, he just gets on the phone and calmly calls John Houseman and says, Yeah, the deal didn't work out. I'll give you your 20 grand in the morning. And that's what he does. Then he goes to uh, John Houseman's house. <laughs> I love that. John Houseman's house on Friday, the morning before the caper. And they're sitting in the room and they're talking about dreams. And Charles Bronson says he has dreams about being hungry. And John Houseman has, says he has dreams about dying. It's about noon. John Houseman says he'll be leaving about 6 o'clock. He puts Charles Bronson up in a guest room. And uh, during that time, Jacqueline Bassett shows up. And we get a little brown chicken brown cow. They just go right at it. 
And there's a nice little transition where they're having sex, and then we cut to John Houseman watching these old black and white movies, and fireworks are going off. So that was kind of humorous in my... I thought they did a good job with that. And after they're done having sex, Charles Bronson asks Jacqueline Bissett how she came to work for John Houseman, and Jacqueline Bissett said, I used to be a cop, uh, but basically John Houseman made me a better deal, and that's why she is there. And then it's almost time for the caper. John Houseman brings out this briefcase full of guns, and Jacqueline Bissett takes one, and John Houseman takes one, and Charles Bronson does not. He does not want to kill anybody. And uh, they all head off to the drive-in, which is the rendezvous for the drop. And they get to the rendezvous, and John Houseman and Charles Bronson are watching, watching what's going on. And this is a little, there's like a three to five minutes where there's not much going on. It's just uh, Charles Bronson looking through binoculars, and we cut to those guys making a deal. But the music, there's no action, but the music makes you think that there's a lot of stuff going on. And that's one of the times where the music does enhance the movie. There's nothing really going on screen, but the music makes you think that there's something going on. The electronics company and the people with the oil, they make the exchange, and then all of a sudden these two guys in masks show up. And they steal the uh, $4 million. That's how much it was. They steal the $4 million from the two guys in the car. And then they make their getaway. But before they, but, but, but before they can get away, Jacqueline Bissett cuts them off in a truck. And Charles Bronson and John Houseman uh, lock them in. You know, they drive up behind them. So basically blocking them in, Jacqueline Bissett pulls out a gun. And she says, out of the car. And while they're getting out of the car, one of them pulls a gun, and Jacqueline Bissett just boom, boom. Or she was using a silencer. Both of them. They're both dead. And can you guess who the two guys were? Of course, it was the two detectives. They were the bad guys in the movie. There was a ton and ton and ton of actors in there, but it was really really specific on who you thought the bad guys were and it turned out to be them so those were the guys that had the journals these two guys had the journals so they knew that the drop was going down and they were going to interrupt the drop and steal the four million dollars and so john houseman had to readjust his plans to steal the money from them which they were stealing from somebody else. So that's it. They're trying to steal the money that we stole from them that they stole from us. One of those deals. They get back to John Houseman's house. And they open up the briefcase. And indeed, there is $4 million in there. Even with a minor hitch, they were able to pull off the scheme which John Houseman came up with. And once they get back to the house... Jacqueline Bissett asks Charles Bronson how he knew that it was the two cops. Because even before they demasked them, Charles Bronson knew who they were. And this is how Charles Bronson knew. How did you know it was all in deal? Little things. What little things? Well, at the laundromat, it wasn't just coincidence. What? Them dropping by like that. That could happen. Oh, there was something else. What? The second phone call. 
the one that set up the exchange at Union Station. The instructions were to use the same Pan Am bag. Now, how did he know it was a Pan Am bag unless he had seen it? Who saw it? All are in deal. What about the safe cracker? Pesco, they killed him too. They were on the scene too damn fast, just like at the laundromat. Then they killed the officer you were about to pay $20,000 to for their names, yes? No. No? No. After I took Fran to the hospital, I called Deal. He lives away over in Chatsworth. All I was with him. Now, there's no way they could have killed Fran, driven to Chatsworth in time to answer my phone call. Oh, that's devilish, Mr. St. Ives. Well, after Charles Bronson does his explaining, we see this door slowly open. It's like Star Trek. And sitting there is John Houseman's doctor. And he's carrying a gun. And John Houseman's doctor is the one who was going to double-cross him. Who's in on it with him? Jacqueline Bissett. That's right. The doctor and Jacqueline Bissett are going to double-cross John Houseman and take the $4 million for themselves. So they're going to kill John Houseman and they're going to kill Charles Bronson. And that's what the doctor does. The doctor just shoots John Houseman right in the chest. But before he can turn the gun on Bronson, he Bronson hops over a table and kills the lights in the room. And he's able to not only get out of the room but carry the briefcase that, remember the guns that John Houseman gave out earlier in the movie? There was one left in the briefcase, and he grabs that briefcase and he takes that out with him. And now they're out by the pool. And while they're out by the pool, Charles Bronson loads the gun, gets the drop on the doctor, boom, boom, shoots him dead. And he gets the drop on Jacqueline Bissett. And Jacqueline Bissett, she tries to seduce Bronson. Well, I'd much rather be in, you know, in cahoots with you than the doctor. Just think of all the things we could do with that $4 million. And Jacqueline Bissett's like, you can't shoot me. And Charles Bronson's like, I can't, but the lieutenant can. Because during all this, Charles Bronson called the lieutenant and was going to have him waiting at the mansion when they came back with the $4 million. So Charles Bronson really is the most honest man in the world. He didn't want to have nothing to do with the $4 million. He wanted these guys caught for ripping off criminals. Anyway, that's how it is. And uh, Jacqueline Bissett turns to shoot at the lieutenant. And while she does that, Charles Bronson throws her into the pool. And he tells the lieutenant, you better put the cuffs on her. He runs back inside and and sees John Houseman. And John Houseman basically dies in his arms. And then the lieutenant brings Jacqueline Bissett into the room. And then Charles Bronson basically explains what happened, that Jacqueline Bissett was the one who put the ice pick in the cop at his hotel. And then that is basically the end of the movie. And that was St. Ives. And what did I think of St. Ives? I thought Charles Bronson, he was... It was a nice character. I thought Charles Bronson is not known for having a lot of personality in his movies. I thought he had a lot of personality in this movie. The way he interacted with other characters and the way he interacted with Jacqueline Bissett, I thought he had nice, he you know, he was quippy, he was funny, he had a, he had a charm about him. 
it's it's the I don't usually see Charles Bronson in this kind of role. Charles Bronson is usually stone-faced and straightforward. But in this this was a role that had a little bit of levity in it and a little bit of charm in it and I thought he did a really good job. The movie on the whole, as, as I said, it's convoluted. It's got this big convoluted plot. We're introduced to character after character after character. So you really, really have to follow to keep up with what's going on. It's not an action movie as well. There's a couple of action scenes, but the most part, it's a whodunit. And Charles Bronson is the detective, so we only know what Charles Bronson knows. It's a nice watch. It, it, yeah. Uh, once again, as I said in Fuzz, it's just nice to watch to see all the great character actors. The acting in this movie is fantastic. Jacqueline Bissett is excellent as the femme fatale. John Houseman, he gives a very fine performance. All performances all round. All great. The movie just needed to be a little more streamlined, a little more coherent, and I think I would have enjoyed it more. But I would say give St. Ives a watch. You may not go back to it time and time again, as you say, maybe a death wish, but I think for what it is, you're going to enjoy it, and I think you'll get a kick out of Charles Bronson's performance in this movie. And that's it. This is uh, relative. I was able to talk about this movie in a really short period of time. But that is, that's it. This has been another episode of the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Tune in next time. I'll see you later. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com slash Scott White and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. This should help people find the podcast when they're searching. No matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. Charlie, that's Procaine. He had a bad dream that came true. The guy in the pool was his psychiatrist named Constable. Constable tried to trade him in for four million dollars. Now that one, did you know she was a cop? Used to be a cop. She's the one that stuck the ice pick in Fran, also for the four million. That's the four million there, huh? Yep. You know, you never told me who that money belongs to. Why, Charlie, it belongs to you if you want it. The people who it really belongs to would never admit they had ever seen it. <laughs> Why don't you take it? Uh, Charlie, it's expensive being honest. It sure as shit is. Hey, look at that. Did you ever see a cop cry? Sure. Lots of times. Tears as big as raindrops. Wow, Charlie, can I use that dialogue? Be my guest. Officer. Yes, ma'am. Before you call the station, would you help me get off my wet things? Good luck, Charlie. Okay.